Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Out in a fishing boat, empty and exhausted, Peter discovered the wonder of God's second chance. One day Jesus used his boat as a platform. The crowd on the beach was so great that Jesus needed a buffer, so he preached from Peter's boat. Then he told Peter to take him fishing. The apostle-to-be had no interest. He was tired. He had fished all night. He was discouraged. He had caught nothing. He was dubious. What did Jesus know about catching fish? Peter was self-conscious. People packed the beach. Who wants to fail in public? But Jesus insisted, and Peter relented. At your word, I will let down the net. This was a moment of truth for Peter. He was saying, I will try again your way. When he did, the catch of fish was so great that the boat nearly sank. Sometimes we just need to try again with Christ in the boat. In the Archbishop's Corner is the best place to get the encouragement to try again. And Archbishop Blair is the best person to provide that encouragement based on faith rooted and grounded in the words of Jesus, let's go fishing. Failures are fatal only if we fail to learn from them. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today on this Mother's Day? Very well, thank you. Do you have any words of wisdom or inspiration for moms on this day? Well, I think all of us have an infinite debt of gratitude to pay to our parents and particularly our mothers as we celebrate that day. Um, it's not just about having given us physical birth, but having truly been mothers to, to, to us and uh, to children everywhere. It's such a huge part of human personhood, much maligned in today's culture. But this most fundamental bond is so absolutely part of God's creation and redemption. Uh, and we see that, you know, epitomized in the Blessed Virgin Mary as the mother of Jesus and our mother, too, spiritually. So happy Mother's Day to all mothers, uh, both physical and those who exercise a certain spiritual motherhood to others, participating in God's own creative and uh, redemptive work. Originally, I'm told this day was to honor and give thanks to the Virgin Mary, as such celebrations required people to visit their mother church. What are your thoughts on encouraging people to visit the church of their youth on this Mother's Day? Well, if they can, that would be <laughs> would be I fine. See. I guess it has to do. It's a, a, meant to uh, call attention to the motherhood of the church, and you know that's extremely important. Uh, it, it's it's never Holy Father Church; it's always Holy Mother Church. Mm -hmm because the church is bridal, that all of us, men and women, both uh, in, in our relationship to God, um, are in a bridal relationship uh, as part of, the, as part of uh, the church. And that's uh, a very beautiful and rich uh, theological truth that we don't have time to explore here, but it's, it's very important. And of course, in a world today in which male and female, father and mother, are uh, d debated as if they could be debated, or, or made to seem relative instead, instead of uh, actual, this becomes uh, a crisis that is not only biological uh, or moral, but also profoundly spiritual. We're also celebrating World Day of Prayer for Vocations. 
Now, we've been praying for vocations for as long as I can remember. Is it working? Well, you know what I say, that I, I pray for ordinations, not vocations, because I do believe, I mean, we should pray for vocations, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to make a point by saying that, that, um, you know, a vocation is the call from God. And I'm convinced that there that people are called by God, but whether they ever get to or, ordination or whether they are dissuaded or distracted or otherwise taken away from this call that God gives them, that's another matter. So... Yes, uh, we need to pray. Uh, Jesus himself said the harvest is great, the, the workers are few, so pray the Lord, the harvest master, to send laborers into his harvest. That was from our Lord's own words. And I think today, uh, you know, we live in a, a society, in a culture of such diminished spiritual and religious uh, practice and sensibility that it becomes very difficult for people to hear the call uh, or to be even interested in it. So, yes, we have to work and pray. Uh, you know, we have to do both. This is becoming somewhat tense, you know, with some individuals where we have to face the harsh realities uh, of the practice of the faith and the number of priests we have, and we have to combine or close parishes, merge them. And some people act like, you know, their parish hasn't given a priest for 150 years, and their family, mm-hmm. you, know, you say to them, have you ever encouraged a priesthood? And they, they, a lot of Catholic people who even go to Mass discourage their sons from thinking about the priesthood. And then they wonder, they complain that their parish has got to be merged. Now, you understand I'm not casting a wide net here. I'm talking about a minority of cases where this happens. But the point is that we all have to be, we're not just consumers of religious goods, you know, that we go on Sunday to our favorite church and, and get our 45 minutes. Our faith is a whole way of life, and it involves being personally invested and involved spiritually in the good of the, uh, good of the faith community, the good of the church, the good of the archdiocese. Yes, say that prayer for vocations, but also do what you can personally to encourage them. Now, I can't understand how there could be a family that would dissuade a son or a daughter from entering into religious life and making a commitment with their life in a vocation to the Lord, huh? Well, I can understand it as lamentable as it is for people who maybe don't go to church or whose Catholicism is just kind of minimal. But I, I just heard of one this last week uh, of somebody, of church-going people, and the son really is interested and wants to, to, to pursue the priesthood and is being given a very hard time. That distresses me no end. Uh, but uh, that's the kind of world we live. Well, it's not anything new, you know. Yeah. The famous story of St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, his parents, they, they actually were so intent on, on dissuading him that they actually sent a young woman to his room, and he, he, he drove her out with a torch, <laughs> <laughs> and he became the great uh, Dominican priest and saint that we have today. But, so this is not anything new, you know, but we have to be very, very attentive. Absolutely. It's God's church, but in another way, God respects our freedom, you know, and uh, so in that sense, sometimes you may get the church you deserve, because if you don't, if you're not keen on on really being uh, listening to God's voice and encouraging the things that build up the church, then what you have may be taken from you. And I know there's so many good Catholics in the archdiocese who pray very fervently for vocations and who work very hard at it, 
you know, try to encourage people. So, and, and, and so many do support their priests, encouraging their priests, because they see the challenge that uh, many priests are laboring with today in terms of the shortage of priests, and there's so much work to be done. There, there's so many ways in which we reach out to touch the lives of people to encourage them spiritually and, and bring them along faithfully to a, a greater response to God's will in their lives. We need to give thanks, I think, to, to the people that support us in our vocations, too, don't we? Absolutely. And on this Mother's Day, particularly to thank those mothers of faith in their families who really, you know, fathers are essential, too, for this. But the, but today, especially to thank those mothers who are not just biological mothers, but who are spiritual mothers to their children, mm. uh, who educate them early on in the ways of faith and devotion and prayer and uh, that's a very wonderful thing that God will bless you for immensely, both in this life and the life to come. Interesting. This Wednesday is Donated Days Wages to Charity Day, when all working people are asked to donate the money that they make for the day to charity. And for those who can't afford a donation, they are encouraged to volunteer at a local charity instead. If mom and dad don't set the example of the importance of donating to charity— where are today's young people going to learn charity? I can remember going to church with mom and dad when I was a little kid, and before Mass, dad would give us some change that we as kids could put in the collection basket when it was passed. Any thoughts? Well, two. One is that, yes, it's all part of living a, a devout Catholic life, that if people are churchgoers, they go to Mass every Sunday, they take their faith seriously same thing with my parents, you know. Of course, we, I went to Catholic school. We were given little envelopes, children's yeah, envelopes, yeah. to get us into the practice of contributing something to the good of the church. And we, you know, my family, we didn't have much money at all. I Maybe we put our dime in there, a quarter, whatever. But that was a way of doing that. Of course, today the world is very different. Uh, first of all, church attendance. And secondly, that uh, we have to adjust now to the new ways of giving. You know, young people... Uh, I'm not referring to kids here, but young adults, they don't even uh, carry cash, you know, or, or I mean, it, they give everything with uh, online or and such. And COVID has prompted us to uh, to, to do more of that online giving. But getting back to the whole notion of, of um, education in the faith, uh, supporting the church and not only materially, but spiritually, yeah, that's something that comes from early childhood. This Saturday is the feast day of St. Matthias, the Apostle the Twelfth Apostle. The original Twelve Apostles included Judas, but after he betrayed his ministry, it was necessary to nominate someone to take his place. Matthias was chosen as he was with Jesus from his baptism to his ascension. Why did there need to be a Twelfth Apostle, do you think, after Judas betrayed the Lord? Well, you'd have to ask Peter and the others. It, it certainly seems mm. that the, the very fact that this happened uh, suggests something very uh, interesting, you know, that they felt that they had to be the be 12 again. Um, you know, there's a lot in Scripture that is suggested or hinted at that not everything that Jesus said or did is recorded there, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, those things that established the fundamentals until the end of time. There we get another example of the fact how Peter exercised this role, that there was a college of apostles, that Peter was the head, and that this that, that number had to be, there had to be succession, there had to be, it had to, a place had to be filled well, that's exactly what we have today with the College of the uh, Bishops, uh, who are successors of the Apostles, and with Peter represented by the Pope as the successor of St. Peter. So these things go very deeply uh, into the very origins of the faith from Christ, 
And uh, uh, so th that's very interesting that they, they would have, have uh, felt the need to elect a replacement. But, and, and that tells us something about today, too. And about why succession is so important up to this day and time. Yes. Archbishop, let's take a look at our gospel reading on this fourth Sunday of Easter. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 10th chapter. And after this dramatic presentation, we'll talk with you, asking for your thoughts. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Archbishop, it's a short gospel passage. What stands out for you in this gospel today? Well, Jesus is saying that those sheep that belong to him hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. Uh, and that is, I think, the sign of authenticity of our faith, the surety of our being along the right path. If we want to know what our right path in life is, we're striving to uh, make a success of our life in the way that is eternal, then if we're sheep who hear Christ's voice and we follow him, then we are on the path to eternal life. And when we say hear his voice and follow, we're thinking of all the ways that the gospel uh, gives us the voice of Christ and also what he said, we talked about the apostles, he who hears you hears me the teaching authority of the church, the apostolic authority, uh, calling people to conversion and faith. He who hears you hears me. I mean, that's what it's all about, really. And uh, it's simple, and yet it's uh, very challenging. Uh, and it is at the heart of the church's mission. And it's really the heart of the gospel. And it's about what, our, what life and the world eventually are all about. We have carried this imagery of uh, the shepherd and the good shepherd right on up to today's day and time, even to the, to the point where the shepherd's crook is used by bishops and archbishops throughout the church, mm -hmm. so that, that you become the good shepherd for your diocesan flock. Well, yes, in the name of Christ. Uh, and, of course, that doesn't mean that we take his place by any means. And as St. Augustine points out, and as we don't, need to be told because we know it, there, can, there are good shepherds and there can be bad shepherds. Just as in the apostles, there were 12 and one of them turned out to be a traitor. One twelfth, that's a very interesting thing to ponder. The church is always uh, struggling with this mysterious role of evil uh, that besets the church until the end of time, just as it did Jesus himself. And the victory is won by his resurrection from the dead. We have nothing to fear but we, we do face temptation and weakness, and we have to always be vigilant to be sure that we're following Christ and not some false teacher or false shepherd. Well, speak to the meaning of the phrase, no one can take them out of my hand. If you belong to Christ and are a person of faith, it doesn't mean that temptation can't divert your loyalty, or does it? Well, we're all sinners, and we do things that are not in keeping with Christ's voice, but we are always seeking mercy and forgiveness, and we're always striving to do better. Jesus says that his sheep are the ones uh, that will never perish, and no one can take them out of his hand because they hear his voice and they follow. No matter what happens, if you heed Christ's voice and you follow, 
then uh, you're, you're secure, you're safe into safe pasture, as he says, green pasture. It's beautiful imagery that, that this gospel presents, and, and the church has constantly presented to us. I'm not sure that we fully understand that, or most people fully understand it today, because we're not an agrarian culture as once we were. Yeah, but we know what sheep are, and we, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, still, we still have enough animals near and around us to know uh, what this is all about. I think that's true, yeah, even in terms of our pets that we have, huh? Well, unless you have a pet turtle, I don't suppose that's very <laughs> sheep-like. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. But before we do, we've got to talk about this because it just occurred. A leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion on May 2nd indicated that a majority of the Supreme Court is prepared to overturn Roe v. Wade. This would overturn the right to abortion, and this disclosure represents an extreme breach of modern Supreme Court protocol. The fallout has included outrage from liberal politicians, a call for an investigation into the leak, and a demand by some on the political right that the Supreme Court forego protocol and issue a decision immediately before the justices' opinions could change. Any thoughts that you care to share with us? Well, I don't want to get into the legal and political uh, matters that are, as we're recording this program, are being raised. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I would simply say at this point that it's my hope and prayer that uh, Roe versus Wade is overturned. And then it becomes, again, it's returned to the people of the United States to make this determination uh, about the right to life, rather than saying that nobody has uh, can say anything about it because it's a constitutional right or whatever, and so that the end of the discussion. It's interesting to me that's, that so many people of a certain persuasion are so afraid of the of the people being able to make this decision again through their elected representatives or in other ways. So we'll see what happens. I, I, it's probably premature to comment on all this that's swirling around right now. If this means that people can put some reasonable controls on abortion and hopefully even end it, uh, that would be, that's a step in the right direction. Let's look at some of the questions now submitted by our listeners. Amy from Monroe, for instance, says, A Catholic friend's daughter wants to get married on a Sunday to save money since venue prices are sky high on Fridays and Saturdays. I told my friend that I didn't think Sunday weddings were allowed in the Catholic Church. Is it prohibited or just not practical because of the mass schedule and difficulty finding a priest with time to spare on a Sunday? Well, Amy, it's the latter, uh, at least uh, for a long time here in the Archdiocese and other places, you can have a wedding on a Sunday. Um, I remember when I lived in Italy, uh, if you went to Sunday Mass at a Roman parish, there very often was a wedding being celebrated, and not just like here where it's a special Mass apart, but the wedding actually took place at the parish Mass. So the 10 o'clock morning Mass, there was a wedding. Um, So it can happen, but here, because uh, we have so many weekend masses already and because people want a separate mass for their wedding, they don't want to be married at the parish mass, we have not uh, allowed that because it, it would just be impossible for the priests. But today, as there are fewer people getting married and fewer people getting married in church, and if uh, an individual priest asks for permission to have a wedding on a Sunday, uh, I say yes, if the priest is willing to do it. But I could also understand if a priest who's already had all these masses and and other obligations for baptisms and things, and then somebody wants a wedding on top of it, that can become unreasonable. So it it's permitted if the if the I will grant the permission if it's asked, 
but uh, we just have to uh, that that's a decision that the local priest has to make. Fred from Watertown says, a relative of mine puts a great importance on the idea of being born again to be saved because of what Jesus said in the third chapter of the Bible according to John. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When are Catholics reborn? Well, Fred, it is very clear from the most ancient uh, tradition of the church, the Catholic church, all the way through, that the rebirth being referred to here is baptism being reborn of water and the Holy Spirit from above. I should add that an equally valid translation is not born again, but born from above. You know, our uh, fundamentalist friends make a great deal about this in their own spirituality in a way that uh, some take to mean a contradiction of, of the sacrament of baptism as it's administered, for example, by the Catholic Church. But, uh, yes, we are all reborn. It's, it's scripture, scripture is very clear about that, the teaching uh, of the Bible, that baptism is one's rebirth. Uh, I mean, the most ancient texts talk about this, about being under the water and coming up reborn into a new life. Every baptized Christian has been reborn from above, and that's what John is talking about. You know, you bring up a question in my mind, Archbishop. That is, we all know when our birthdays are, the day we were born. But I'm wondering how many people actually know when their baptism day is, when they were born from above, as you've put it. I think that probably not many of us know the day we were baptized. Well, of course, you know, at the uh, Easter on Easter Sunday now, in place of the Nicene Creed at the Masses, uh, we have a renewal of the baptismal promises. And, of course, at the Easter Vigil, we actually celebrate baptism for those being baptized, and we renew the promises. But, yes, uh, we don't—it's not— been our the tradition to uh, celebrate a baptismal day, but it's essential to our to our uh, identity of, of being redeemed in Christ. Kim from Summers says, officials from the Vatican are in the United States to investigate possible miracles attributed to the intercession of Venerable Father Augustus Tolton, and this got me thinking. Is Blessed Michael McGivney any closer to becoming a saint? Well, I'm a little bit uh, confused, Kim, by saying that officials from the Vatican, they're the United States, to investigate. That doesn't happen. Uh, what happens is the local diocese or a religious order, if it's if it's a member of their order that's under consideration, conducts the investigation. So, for example, for uh, Father Blessed Michael McGivney, uh, it was my predecessor, uh, Archbishop Cronin, who initiated the investigation, and it was all brought to a conclusion under me uh, and sent to the Holy See in Rome. Uh, so for Father Tolton, I don't know, uh, I forget what diocese uh, he was uh, in or buried in. I don't remember. But anyway, as far as Father McGivney, there are many uh, things uh, ascribed to his intercession that are that are being looked at. So we hope and pray that one day uh, something will come forward that, that can be verified that would, would lead to his canonization. And it's a good thing to pray for his canonization, is it not? Well, to pray for his intercession and things that, you know, we situations of, of, of serious spiritual or material physical need. Archbishop, we've gotten several questions regarding the German Synod and the reforms suggested by the Church of Germany. Do you want to comment? Well, I have to tell you, as a bishop, I am deeply troubled, deeply, deeply troubled by what's going on in, in, in Europe uh, in the church in uh, Germany and maybe Switzerland, Austria, some of these places that are questioning uh, fundamental uh, teachings about human sexuality and ministry, 
uh, to persons with a homosexual inclination and calling into question other teachings that are very uh, uh, much part of our Catholic faith. It's my understanding that this so-called synodal process, which, by the way, is not what Pope Francis has called for, at least not the kind of synod that's going on in Germany, uh, is not going to come to a conclusion till like, uh, the fall. And uh, the Holy See in Rome is not, or the Pope has not responded to this yet. But I have every indication that, that uh, Pope Francis does not agree with this, and how could he? This kind of thing is contrary to the Catholic moral teaching. You know, some bishops have spoken out publicly. There was a letter sent by a number of bishops to the German bishops pleading with them not to do this. Uh, actually, I was asked to sign that letter, and I did not, and I want to explain why. I agree absolutely with everything that letter said, but I was concerned that unless all the bishops were invited to sign it, that it could be divisive, you know. Why were you asked and I wasn't asked? Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, the organizers of it thought it best not to to, to open it to everybody. Uh, They didn't extend the invitation to everybody. And and I respect that. Uh, But but the bottom line is that I I agree with with what their letter said. And I know that there have been other public statements made of the seriousness of this. You know, this church in Germany, in Europe, is in a very bad way. Not like, for example, Poland, uh, which was under communism, you know, in Eastern Europe, they, they still are, have very strong uh, practice of the faith and such. But people in Germany, the church in Germany is, is not in good shape. The church attendance is absolutely miserable. They're the richest uh, church you can imagine because they get this state tax. Some of these dioceses literally have billions of dollars f- from, from the government. They have huge lay bureaucracies uh, as a result that they can afford to pay. I'm told that the, the shots are being called by some of these elements that are very uh, much in the vanguard of dissent against church teaching. So I'm giving you a long answer here, but I am very concerned about this. Not to be facetious about this, but, you know, I've always said, I don't know about someone else, but I'm dying a Catholic. And, mm-hmm. and I mean that because in the world today, there are huge threats to the church's teaching on faith and morals. And I can't speak for others, but I uh, uh, am true to my oath and I believe with all my heart what the Church believes and teaches. It sets forth in the Magisterium what's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And uh, we just all have to be very strong about this. Is there a fear of a schism? I think there could be, yes, there could be. It's happened in Germany before, as we know. Mm-hmm. And it could happen again. Yes, it could. I, I really do think it could. It's part of a situation in which, hey, let's put it this way, it's interesting. You know, at the time of Luther and the Reformation, there was actually a lot of religious fervor. People actually were interested in wanting to renew their Christian faith, which was the Catholic faith. But there were many abuses, and there was a dragging of feet about real reform. But a lot of the reformers at that time were religiously motivated. There's no question. But today, it's not about a religious fervor. It's about really kind of a conformity to the world. Uh, it's about repudiating fundamental teachings, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of things like that, and it's been undermined for a very long time, you know? The advent of modern uh, biblical scholarship is a wonderful thing for us to appreciate the context and the, the way things were, uh, the, the literary forms and all that. This doesn't take away from the truth of the scriptures, but, you know, the, all these theories over the last uh, century and a half in particular, and even longer, that have questioned, you know, that the accuracy or the truthfulness or the or the, the, the mode of transmission of Scripture. You know, there was some 
I think it was the Jesuit superior someplace when asked about, you know, that Jesus said that, you know, divorce is uh, divorce is not God's plan for, for marriage. He was reported to have said, well, what do we know? Do We didn't have a tape recorder when Jesus was speaking. Mm-hmm. You see, that reflects that idea that somehow the church can't really, we really can't know what's the old uh, song, It Ain't Necessarily So, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that Broadway yeah. musical. This is where we have to understand that the scriptures as an inspired document, that is, it's God's word, and that, yes, we can study it historically, we can study doctrine historically, but nothing's ever come across that has, that has shown that somehow these are illegitimate. These are all theories about, well, I do, how do we know? And all. But if you have faith and if you, if you accept Christ's promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all the truth and the authority that's given to the church to teach things that truthfully and correctly— then you you can have a solid faith. So you've got me going here by asking me that question, but I I am deeply troubled by it. And I think, you know, this is going this already is at work in the church universal. You know, people saying, well, how do we really know? And where the church has to change, you know, that's a new world. We're redefining sexuality, redefining marriage, redefining the human person. And to all of that, I say no. I, I, I cannot accept that and will not. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Thank you, and can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord Jesus, you have promised to be with us always, even until the end of time, and you also promised us the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all the truth. Upon the rock of faith entrusted to St. Peter in particular, but to all the apostles and their successors, we ask in that faith that you would bless us and Make us always live both by truth and love, love and truth as the path that leads to eternal life. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday. Until then, enjoy this week. Thank you.